Good morning. Welcome to Rooftop. My name is Matt, one of the <clears throat> pastors here at Rooftop. Maybe you know the drama that has been playing out at one of the world's biggest and most well-known churches, Hillsong, uh, which is a global Pentecostal church headquartered in Australia. It launched a huge site in New York City a few years ago uh, under the charismatic leadership of Carl Lentz, and the church took off, uh, drawing celebrities and luminaries with his high fashion and his uh, strong onstage presence and Hollywood connections. Uh, Lentz actually made it cool to be a Christian in uh, one of the most unchristian cities on the planet. <clears throat> Underneath the veneer, though, was apparently a uh, rotten and broken man. Lentz admitted a couple years ago to having an affair with a woman that he basically seduced in a public park. He was subsequently fired by the church. As reported in that documentary, Hillsong, a megachurch exposed, other reports have come out of Lentz's womanizing and lavish lifestyle, which was paid for by unknowing church members. The entire Hillsong operation is now under intense scrutiny. Founding pastor Brian Houston <clears throat> is himself the target of investigations of greed and financial impropriety. He is accused of overseeing a culture of immorality and hypocrisy. He has since resigned. Now, honestly, a lot of these investigations uh, risk going too far. Uh, the documentary, for example, that I just showed you a clip from, it is not fair and balanced. Um, you have to watch it with a grain of salt. The producers were clearly out for blood but having said that, uh, the leaders of Hillsong have only themselves to blame for the negative attention they're receiving. Now, if only this could have been avoided. If only Jesus had given us a way to know if certain Christian leaders, certain prophets should be followed. Oh, wait, he did. Jesus knew that many prophets and preachers and pastors would come along asking us to follow them. Jesus knew furthermore that not all of them would be worth following. So Jesus gave us some instructions on how to know who to follow and who not to. Instructions that, frankly, a lot of us choose to ignore. Because as much as a lot of us say we want to follow Jesus, if we're really honest with ourselves, an awful lot of us would rather follow Carl Lentz. Even to our destruction. Jesus gives us these instructions in this challenge, in this warning, in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> we are slowly winding down our study on the Sermon on the Mount here in our series at Rooftop called Religion Redefined. As you know, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' big manifesto recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in which uh, Jesus lays out God's radical demands for what it means to be one of his people. Uh, the sermon is not for easy listening, casual Christians. It's for people who want to leave the crowd and follow Jesus in some truly radical ways. Now, in this final section of the sermon, which I'm calling decision time, Jesus asks us to do something with everything that he's given us. We have to decide to follow him. We have to take, as we talked about last week, the narrow path. And also, we have to be careful. Jesus warns us that many people will come after him asking us to follow. We shouldn't follow all of them, though. Not all of them are shooting straight. But how do we know who to follow and who not to? That's what he addresses in the passage that we're going to look at. So let me go ahead and read to you then Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> Watch out. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, here in the passage, Jesus gives us a very stark warning. He says, watch out. Matthew actually records Jesus saying this phrase in his gospel uh, very frequently. Jesus, like a scoutmaster, hiking in the woods with the scouts, telling them to watch out for things. Watch out for that cliff. Watch out for that poisonous vine. Watch out for, you know, that animal hiding in the bush. In fact, you kind of have to hear Jesus shouting the phrase to get the sense of what is behind it. Watch out! If someone's messing around with something, you don't, like, be polite about it. Watch out! Now, why all the concern? Well, Jesus knows that life and faith are dangerous. You can't just mosey through faith, ignorant of the dangers all around you. You've got to be careful. Now, what should we watch out for? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says we should watch out for greed. We should watch out for the devil. But very frequently in Matthew, uh, Jesus tells us the thing that we need to be most leery of, most careful of, most looking out for is deceivers. Hypocritical leaders. That's what he says. Watch out for false prophets. Now, what's a false prophet? Is it when your uh, checking account goes up accidentally? Well, Let's speak more generally. A prophet is anyone who speaks or acts for God. And this, to be sure, it doesn't have to be a prophet who predicts the future, if that's what's in your mind when you're thinking of prophet. A prophet can include pastors, preachers, priests, counselors, church leaders, anyone who leads or acts on God's behalf. Uh, hopefully you know that we all need these people in our lives. Uh, we need spiritual leaders who help us hear and follow God, but not all prophets are created equally. There are true prophets, and there are false prophets. Uh, true prophets uh, lead us to God in correct way. These are not actual prophets, by the way. These are, these are wizards from, more, uh, from uh, <clears throat> Lord of the Rings. But true prophets lead us, lead us to God. Uh, false prophets lead us away from God, sometimes without us even, even knowing it. Uh, Jesus was especially concerned about false prophets because uh, the nation of Israel had actually proved to be quite vulnerable to them. Uh, as far back as the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is warning the people to be careful with prophets. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death, Moses says. There had always been false prophets around mesmerizing God's people with their words. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, God warns the people, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. So, so Israel has always had a problem with false prophets. Why? Well, for the same reason that millions of people join cults or go listen to preachers like Carl Wentz. Because false prophets, here's what they do. They tell us what we want to hear. They tell us that God wants us to be rich. They tell us that Jesus will be returning at a certain day and time under certain conditions known only to them. 
They tell us that we are destined for earthly greatness or that there's nothing wrong with how we want to live our lives. This is why false prophets can be so popular and alluring because they tell us things our itching ears, our needy souls want to hear. True prophets, by contrast, tell things we don't want to hear. True prophets tell us about sin and repentance and sacrifice. True prophets make our ears burn. But we don't want our ears burning, so we prefer false prophets. And there is always a false prophet around who's willing to tell us what we want to hear. And, and this is Jesus' warning. We need to watch out for these guys. Why? Jesus tells us they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. We should watch out for false prophets because they're dangerous. They're ferocious, Jesus says. They want to kill you. They want to tear you apart. This is what wolves do. They kill. They don't play frisbee with you in the park. They don't snuggle up with you on the couch. They kill. Jesus chose his metaphor very purposefully here. Wolves are one of the most violent predators in the animal kingdom. They are what's called apex predators, which means they pretty much consider any other living thing a potential meal, no matter how big. Wolves oftentimes hunt in packs so they can take down large beasts. They have 42 sharp teeth with which their very strong jaws can easily tear apart, hide, and flesh. Wolves have been engineered by natural history to hunt. They track their prey. They have finely honed senses of vision and smell. They are very, very, very hungry. While wolf attacks against human beings are actually quite rare, <clears throat> any rancher or farmer knows that a pack of wolves, or even a couple wolves, can destroy a herd of livestock overnight. Jesus says that false prophets are like that. They're like wolves. We should watch out for them because they can kill us. Now, really? They can kill us? Yeah. I mean, if, if a prophet or a pastor or a leader or a counselor isn't leading you to God, they're leading you away from God. And what is there outside of God except for death? But the other reason we should watch out for false prophets is because they're hard to recognize, and this is Jesus' other point. False prophets aren't just wolves. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> they're wolves wearing sheep outfits. I don't know who photoshopped that one, but it nails it. You don't immediately see how ferocious and dangerous they are. On the outside, they look like sheep. They look innocent. They look normal. That's what sheep represent. Sheep represent innocence. But it's just an act. It's their outfit. Last year, for example, I read a book about uh, a book called The Road to Jonestown about cult leader uh, Jim Jones. Uh, he was a false Christian prophet and cult leader responsible for the murder and suicide of over 900 people at a compound in South America in 1978. <clears throat> this group included normal people like you and I, uh, lawyers, teachers, moms, dads. As I was reading the book, I wondered how can so many intelligent people be so deceived? Well, according to the people who escaped the cult at Jonestown, they, they say that Jim Jones just seemed like a normal guy, and in lots of ways he was just a normal guy. I mean, he was from Indiana, grew up poor, got along with, easily with people. He was charismatic. He liked people. People liked him. Yeah, people thought he was one of them. And nobody thought he was a cult leader. He deceived them so long that they slowly got brainwashed, and by the time they realized what was under the outfit, it was too late. He was literally asking them to drink Kool-Aid, forcing it down their throats. Now, I know Carl Lentz is no Jim Jones, but it works the same way. People are drawn to them because they, 
Think these leaders are like them, like normal sheep. And this is why we got to watch out because false leaders don't always look it and sometimes we don't realize until it's too late. Uh, maybe, for example, you listen to the Mars Hill podcast from last year. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Mars Hill was a huge, thriving church out in Seattle led by a charismatic leader and, as it turned out, false prophet named Mark Driscoll. The church grew rapidly based on Mark's everyman personality. He looked like a sheep. But it fell apart when he re revealed himself to be a wolf. And the most painful part of the podcast series were the interviews done with former members of Mars Hill who had actually given up on church and given up on Christianity as a result of their experience underneath Mark's leadership. This is what false prophets want to do. They want to kill you. They want to kill your faith, and they're hard to recognize. That should terrify us. They want to kill you. They're hard to recognize. They might be sitting right next to you. That should terrify us. So how do we protect ourselves? What do we do? Jesus knows we need spiritual leaders. He gives them to us. But how do we know they're not going to eat us? Not to make this awkward, but how do you know I'm not one of them? How do you know? How do you know I'm not a false prophet? Or Jeremy, or Jason, or Heather, Heather Gain. How do you know Heather Gain, director of communications, the rooftop is not the subject of the next podcast series, the documentary. My money's on Heather, in fact. <laughs> she is the least suspicious looking, and I think she has us exactly where she wants us. How do we know? Well, Jesus gives us a rule of thumb here. What is it? It's, it's very simple. He says it in verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. He goes on. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear, let's just say, good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then Jesus restates his principle. The rule. Therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what's Jesus saying? It's actually very simple. He's using a well-known Jewish metaphor to, to tell people what to look for when prophets and pastors and preachers and priests and as where Heathers come along. Don't just listen to what they say. Don't be dazzled by how they sound. Look at the quality of their lives. That's what fruit represents. Fruit is what their lives, their trees, produce. They might sound good, but you only know if they actually are good if their lives show good things. And that's the rule of thumb Jesus is stating so simply. Good people produce good fruit. Bad people produce bad fruit. Uh, maybe you recognize this image, by the way. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Maybe you know in the Garden of Eden there were two trees. One tree produced fruit. It gave life. One tree produced fruit that produced death. God says, eat from this tree, not this one. Commonly in the Old Testament, in fact, righteousness is described as the fruit of a life well lived. As Isaiah writes, tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. And as we read in Proverbs, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. That's what we should be looking for in the lives of our leaders, righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness is holiness and kindness and love and generosity and mercy and self-control. <clears throat> to be sure, our, our leaders don't have to be perfect. Our pastors don't have to be perfect. Thank God our pastors don't have to be perfect. 
but they should be growing in the righteousness of Christ in noticeable ways. This is the problem, though. A lot of us, if we're honest, a lot of us, if we're honest, don't actually care as much as we think we do about the righteousness of our leaders. If we're honest, a lot of us actually prefer charisma over character. This is certainly true with our political leaders. I mean, these days, a lot of us just don't care if our leaders are good people. We want them to get stuff done, fight for the cause. But even in our spiritual leaders, righteousness doesn't matter to us as much as we think it does. We care about charisma over character. We care about stage presence than we do about spiritual presence. We care more about popularity than we do about maturity, many of us at least. So the problem isn't necessarily false prophets in our midst. The problem is people who prefer them. One more time. The problem isn't necessarily false prophets in our midst. The problem is people who prefer them. Now, why? Why would anybody prefer a false prophet? Well, I've already told you one reason. False prophets just tell us things we like to hear. Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. I'm going to be rich. Tell me more. But there's more to it than that. In a modern world, for example, we have a problem with celebrity worship. Celebrity worship is when we give way too much of our mental energy and emotion to our favorite sports or political or musical or business celebrities. <clears throat> Psychologists point out that people who uh, have an unhealthy fixation on celebrities actually, I, I don't say this judgmentally at all, they actually tend to have uh, deep and profound insecurities. Uh, they tend to have a very low sense of self. They might not like themselves that much. They don't know who they are. So they derive identity from a super successful person who they wish they were like. We don't even realize that we're doing this. We, we just think, you know, Zendaya or Taylor Swift or your favorite politician are just so cool. We love them so much. But it goes a lot deeper than that. We are attaching our self-esteem to them so that when they succeed, we succeed. And then when they fall, we fall. My point is, we do this in the church. We give false prophets the audience they crave. Carl Lentz made uncool people feel cool. Uh, Mark Driscoll made uh, people feel courageous. Uh, other Christian leaders make people feel smart or significant or sophisticated or successful or funny. These leaders appeal to our low sense of self, to our weaknesses. We attach ourselves to these leaders. When they rise, we rise. And when they fall, we fall. And we fall hard. And this is why Jesus says we need to watch out. So that we don't fall. How do we prevent this, though? Let's get practical here before we wrap up. Here's the question I want to try and talk about with you in the last few minutes. In a world of false prophets, how do we not get eaten by wolves? How do you protect yourself from the heather gains of the world? That's what we're talking about. Well, let me share with you a few important points. I'm going to go ahead and tell you ahead of time, these points don't rhyme or alliterate. They're not the same number of words in each of the point. They are just points. Uh, things to do to stay safe. First, get to know your leaders. In order to know if your leaders are false prophets, Jesus says we need to inspect their fruit. In order to inspect the fruit, uh, we need to be able to know them. 
in a lot of churches and organizations, that's just not possible. This is, frankly, this is one of the downsides of larger congregations. But it can even be harder in smaller or medium-sized congregations like ours. I mean, I would genuinely, I would love to get to know every single one of you, and I try to make myself available for that because I know why it's important. But if we could, like, spread it out a little bit, that would be very helpful for me. My point is, you really shouldn't follow someone you don't know. You really shouldn't follow someone you don't know. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul built his ministry not just on preaching, but on getting to know his congregation and, and giving them the chance to get to know him. As he tells the Thessalonians, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. As part of what it means to be a church family, to get to know the lives of your leaders. Now, I know that leaders can be hard to get to know. Some leaders kind of like to keep to themselves, but that's just not good leadership. The pastors and elders here at Rooftop know that you need to know who we are so that you can decide if you trust us or not. That's one of the things people say they like about Rooftop. There's not a lot of pretending here, though. I mean, this is all very intentional. I try to model by describing who I am to you. We're not serving each other if we're pretending to be something we're not. I've shared with you my doubts. I've shared with you my sins. I've shared with you my insecurities, my fears. I've shared with you my victories. I've shared with you my tragedies. I've shared with you my tendencies. And I will keep sharing because not only do I have nothing to hide, but I want you to be able to trust us. I mean, we're leading you to God, hopefully. I want you to be able to trust us. People come up to me sometimes, for example, and they ask me if I'm married because I don't wear a wedding ring. Uh, then I talk about my wife, and people are like, so you like separate or you have problems or something? And I, I'll admit that it gets a little weird when like, you know, new visitors, strangers come up and ask me, you know, you don't wear a wedding ring, are you married? You, know, you get a little defensive, like, you know, mind, mind your own business. At the same time, I get it. I totally get it. These things matter to people. So I'll explain to them, well, you know, I started having babies. My fingers got fat. Take my ring off and just haven't put it back on yet. I'm trying to lose weight and get it back on, but give me time. No, I'll tell them. I just, you know, my ring kept getting caught on things. <laughs> I don't want to lose a finger, so it's at home. But I'm happily married. On most days, I'm very, very happily married. <laughs> my point is, get to know your leaders. Get to know your small group leaders. Get to know your elders. Ask them questions. Look under the hood. They signed up for it. If they don't want to show you who they really truly are, they shouldn't be uh, leading God's people. And if you don't want to know who they are, use God's problems. Get to know your leaders. Second, hold them to high standards. Getting to know your leaders is one thing, uh, but holding them to high standards is the next. Again, leaders don't have to be perfect but we do have to be perfecting. Frankly, it's one of the reasons I am quite honored to be a pastor. My goal in life, my goal in existence, is to grow in the holiness of Christ so that I can see Jesus. That's my goal. Grow in the holiness of Christ so that I can see Jesus. Having the eyes of several hundred people upon me helps. It's intimidating, but it helps. 
Hold your leaders to high standards. Hold them accountable. What should you look for? Well, in his letter to the Galatians, sticking with the fruit theme, uh, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, character attributes that should mark the people of God and especially the leaders of God's people. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I would add, if I may, to the Word of God, humility. That's one of the things I look for in my leaders, humility. The ability to recognize, the ability to apologize, the ability to say you're wrong, the confidence to admit that you don't know everything. These are the evidence of healthy trees. People that are producing these things in their lives are living in the presence of God. And let me give you a quick example. The most influential and important uh, Christian leader I've ever had in my life was my pastor in college. Uh, he's responsible for Rooftop in so many ways. He, he discipled and counseled so many of us when we were students up at Truman State. Uh, his name was Joe. In so many ways, he was an average guy, like average Joe. And by his own admission, he, he was an average preacher, not a strong leader, uh, not a great administrator. But in so many ways, he was way beyond average. He was a godly man who prayed like nobody's business. Uh, he loved on people, and he sat and listened to thousands of students over many decades as they just poured out all their college insecurities, daddy, mommy issues, just sat there and listened. And he built a thriving ministry over many years by modeling love and gentleness and grace under his spiritual leadership. His organization spit out missionaries and pastors and church planners and teachers and converts like nothing I've ever seen. And it was all the result of him just modeling Christ. Now, I'm not saying leadership and preaching and theology don't matter. They do. But holiness matters more. And we need to be honest with ourselves about what we're really looking for in our leaders and in our pastors. And when we're visiting churches, what are we really looking for in the people up on the stage? Are we looking for a good speaker? Are we looking for a dynamic leader? Are we looking for a brilliant theologian? Or are we mostly looking for someone modeling godliness? And if we aren't, we really need to ask ourselves of why that apparently doesn't matter as much to us as it does to the God of the universe. Get to know your leaders. Hold them to high standards. Hold them to God's standards. And thirdly, follow those you can, abandon those you should. If you get to know your leaders, you don't find true evidence of godliness, of real fruit, you should leave them. Stop listening to their sermons. Stop reading their books. Life is too short. Your soul too precious. Don't worry about hurting their feelings. Don't worry about being rude. Don't worry about you know, whether or not the church will survive. Get away from the wolf. Just giving people a second to leave. <laughs> On the other hand, if you find a true prophet you can follow, follow them. Follow them with everything you have. They're God's gift to you. If you have a godly leader in your life that you can follow, follow them. As Paul tells the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Uh, not to get pushy here, but the reality is that a lot of us don't actually want spiritual leaders. We want to go to church, we want to consider ourselves Christian, but we don't like want anybody telling us what to do. May I? I kind of feel that sometimes. Preach sermons, sometimes you do something with them, sometimes you don't. I'm like, so why are you here again? If we have leaders we can follow, we should. Good leaders care for us and protect us as Jesus does. And that's what I want to leave you with. The reason God gives us pastors and prophets and priests is because he himself is like that. Our God is a caregiver. Our God is a shepherd. Jesus even calls himself the good shepherd. In the Gospel of John, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I've come that my sheep may have life and have it to the full. How does the good shepherd give us life to the full? What did he do? How did he accomplish that? Well, you know, gave his life for us. Threw himself to the wolves. Saw thieves and wolves coming for his flock. He sacrificed himself. He jumped in front of us. He let those wolves tear him to shreds. He let the Pharisees, the false prophets, the Romans hang his body on the cross. But in so doing, he made a way that we could be protected. By his death, he purchased our forgiveness for sins. He leads us into the pen of eternal life where we will be forever free of sin and death and wolves. If we've truly given our lives to Jesus, if we've truly trusted in his death for our salvation, we are kept safe in God's pen forever. But at least still here on earth, we need to watch out. Until all the wolves, all the prophets, all the false leaders are rounded up and shot. We need to watch out. We need to watch out for the leaders we shouldn't follow. And we need to follow hard after the leaders that we should. That's how we get to heaven. That's how we live forever. That's how we follow Jesus. And come to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came to give us.